tonight we're gonna pick it up in James chapter five, verse seven. And remember, James is the brother of Jesus. He's the head of the Jerusalem church and he's writing this letter to Jewish believers who are scattered throughout the world. So he's not writing to people who don't know Christ, he's writing to believers. And so he writes in verse seven here, he says, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Does anybody struggle being patient in your life? I do sometimes, but then I just say, God, I need more patience and I need it right now, right? Like, <laughs> that's kind of how we act sometimes. That's our MO. We say, God, I wanna I want be more patient. Help me be more patient. Help me to learn it. And then God, we get stuck in traffic and we're like, okay, I don't wanna learn it right now, God. Help me to learn it later, right? This is something, patience is something we know we all need, but we really struggle with. We don't love patience because we live in a world where we really have forgotten what it means to wait on things. Um, in the ancient world, when the Bible was written, there weren't very many things that happened quickly. Most things took time to develop. In fact, he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So he says, as you're waiting on the return of our, our Savior, he said, be patient. And then he compares our patience that we should have with the patience of the farmer. And he says, think about the farmer. He, he plants his fields, he plants the seed in the ground, and then he has to wait and wait and wait. And in fact, it says, until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, it's really important for us as we put our faith in God to learn how to be patient. And it's easy to be patient when God works on our timeline, isn't it? When God does things exactly when we want him to do them, it's like, oh, this is perfect. I'm not so patient that I'm waiting on you, God, when you do things exactly when I want you to do them. But that's how we function sometimes. But God says, no, 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 you need to be patient. Even in difficult seasons, even in challenging seasons, you need to learn what it means to be patient. I won't go too far into this. I love how, and I mentioned this oh, a few weeks ago, but I love how in scripture, they compare our spiritual development to farming. Because just like the farmer here, you have to wait on stuff. It doesn't happen instantly. See, the farmer, he's waiting on the right season to plant, and then he plants. And then it says here that he's waiting on the early and the late rains. Uh, the, the early rain typically occurred in, in the Palestinian area, typically occurred in late October, or early November. And the reason this rain was important is because it would help germinate the seed. And then the late rain typically happened in April or May. And, and without the late rain, the grain wouldn't mature. And so the farmer understood if I plant a seed in the ground, it's really important that I wait for everything to happen as it's supposed to so that I can get the right harvest. But for us, so many times it's hard for us to wait, isn't it? Maybe God gives us a promise. Maybe God speaks something into our lives. Maybe God's put a burden in our heart for something and we, and we wanna do it right then, right now. I'll, I'll share with you uh, in about, a, in, the, in the month of October, we're gonna do a series on, on vision and then uh, talk through where we're going as a church. I'm really excited about that. And there's, there's some things that I feel like God has put on my heart. And, and you guys know me well enough to know when, when I feel like God is speaking to this about something, it's like, okay, let's go do it right now. Like, we're not gonna wait. It's pedal to the metal. Let's go as fast as we can. But that's not always how God functions. Sometimes he, he puts something in our lives or gives us a promise or speaks something to us. And then it means we have to wait a while to let everything develop and for everything to happen. So maybe you're here and, and, and you, you're 
you've got a relationship that's maybe estranged. Maybe you're not in relationship with a mom or dad or, or maybe you're, you're dealing with a rough patch in your marriage or whatever it might be and you're, you're struggling going, God, I know you want me to have a healthy marriage. God, I know you want me to have good relationships. When is it gonna happen? It doesn't always happen in our time frame because God wants us to be patient because just like the farmer says, the conditions need to come together and everything needs to be perfect for this to happen according to God's plan and not according to my plan. That's the same patience we need to have in our lives when it comes to God's promises for us, when it comes to waiting ultimately on the return of our Savior. He says, be patient. Because when the early church was having church, it was easy for them to sell all their stuff and live communally because they thought Jesus was coming back any second. They lived with this urgency that Jesus is coming back at any moment. And one of the problems we have as a church, and I don't mean we as the summit, I mean we globally as the church, is sometimes we lose our urgency that the return of Christ has been delayed and we go, oh, we got plenty of time. Yeah, we need to evangelize lost people. Yeah, we need to win the lost. Yeah, we need to help the poor. But man, we got plenty of time before Jesus comes back. That's not how the early church functioned. They, they, they lived every day knowing Jesus can come back at every moment and, and at any moment. And in fact, they were so convinced of this that James had to say, be patient, just wait. He's gonna come back in his own time. So I would say to you, we need to live with the urgency that Jesus is returning someday. We need to live with that kind of urgency that it's coming, but we also need to live with a patience and say, God, your timing is better than my timing. God, I know I'm looking for a job right now, but I trust you, your timing is better than my timing. God, I know I'm struggling in, in, in this marriage, but God, your timing is better than my timing. I'm just gonna be faithful. I'm just gonna do what you're asking me to do. He goes on to say in this last verse, he says, you also be patient. And he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And this word established, it, um, it's related to whenever you transplant a tree and you put the tree in the new spot, it takes a while for the roots to be established for the roots to take hold, for the roots to begin to really grow and be healthy. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, don't be swayed by everything that happens in this world. It's, it's so easy for us to say, God, we trust you in anything. And then we're not, we don't establish our heart. We don't let ourselves be rooted and planted in God's promises for our lives. And so circumstances come our way. We go, God, I believe you and I trust you no matter what happens. And then we lose our job and we go, oh, wait a second, God, are you sure you know what's going on here? Somebody close to us, they, they betray us or betray a confidence. We go, wait a second, God, I thought you were in control. What's, what's happening is we're easily swayed by the circumstances of our life, and the early church was no different. And that's why James says, establish your hearts, be rooted and planted in what God is doing in your life. Don't, don't be swayed easily, see, because he says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In verse nine, he goes on to say this. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, it's just human nature, but we, we act different when we know we're being watched, don't we? If you don't believe me, um, sneak up on your kids sometime when they don't know you're in the room and just watch them. And then when they turn and see you, they're like, rah, 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 and they're griping, rah, rah, rah. oh, hey, Hey, mom, we were just playing. I wasn't hurting them. I wasn't hurting you, was I, right? What happens? Well, the behavior changes. They go, oh, I'm being monitored. I need to watch myself, right? If you don't believe this principle, just drive down the street and wait for a police officer to pull out behind you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? 
All of a sudden, you become the safest driver in the world. You could teach driver's ed from what you're doing right there. 10 and two, you're checking the mirrors, nice and easy. You're staying one mile an hour below the speed limit. I mean, right here, I'm taking it nice and easy. What am I, I'm right turn, click, hand over hand. You're doing the whole thing perfectly. Why? Because you're being monitored. You know that, that the authority is watching you. So you gotta be careful. You gotta mind your P's and Q's, right? This is what James says. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Because he says, the judge is standing at the door. The judge is watching you. So he says, watch what you're doing. Be careful about what you're doing. Because he says, do not grumble against one another. See, grumbling, we don't call it grumbling when we do it. When we do it, we say, I'm sharing a concern. Can I talk to you about something? I'm just concerned about someone. Can we, can we talk about that, sister? Can I talk to you about that, brother? Say, hey, we just need to be praying for someone. Can I share this prayer request with you? This person has betrayed me and hurt me and this is what they did and this is how they did it and I can't believe they did that. It was so stupid of them to do that, but we just need to pray for them. And we, we can say we're just being concerned or we can say we're just watching out for someone's benefit or we're just, we're concerned about their, their, their spiritual lives and really what we're doing is we're grumbling. And we're not above that. It's easy to fall into that. No one really is above that, especially if we don't guard our hearts. You see throughout the Old Testament, um, the nation of Israel, they were delivered from Egypt. They'd spent 400 years in slavery. There were people that were living then that didn't even know what it meant to be a free person. They spent 400 years in slavery. God sent a deliverer. He sent Moses to deliver them out of the nation of Egypt. He took them out, crossed over the Red Sea miraculously. The Red Sea parts, and they walk across on dry land. God does all this incredible stuff. They get stuck, this is a long story, they get stuck in the wilderness for 40 years and God miraculously provides for them in the desert. He gives them water from a rock. He gives them quail, meat to eat. He gives them bread from heaven, literally sends bread from heaven and the people grumbled. Bread again? Can you believe this God? I mean, golly, I can't believe. Bread again. All we get is meat. Gosh, I wish we had something besides meat. And if that wasn't bad enough, they grumbled against Moses. They said, you know what? This stinks. We would have been better off just going back to slavery in Egypt. Here, it's horrible. All we have to do is eat bread and meat. Come on, this is a ripoff. This is horrible. And they grumbled. They said, we'd rather be in slavery back in Egypt than going through what we're going through. That's stupid. It's ignorant. You'd rather be in slavery? than eating quail and bread and being provided for from God? Come on. Were, were, were they evil? No. They were just grumbling. They were just saying what they felt. I'm just concerned about Moses, that's all. Let's pray together. This is the thing. When we grumble to someone and it's not um, the source of our grumbling, we're gossiping. Oh, I knew you guys would be excited about that portion. When, we are, when we're grumbling or sharing our concerns, but we refuse to share our concerns with the person who we're grumbling about, and we're just gossiping. Gosh, I'm really getting your business now. Did you know there's a passage of scripture that gossip is compared to witchcraft? I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying this, the Bible is saying it. If you got a problem, talk to God about it, right? 
So is there a problem with grumbling? Absolutely, this is the problem. It's divisive and it's selfish. I don't grumble for the benefit of the person I'm grumbling about. I grumble because I've been wronged and this is stupid and why are we doing that instead of this? Why is Moses leading us around the wilderness? I can't believe Moses would do that. Why don't you go talk to Moses and figure it out? Why don't you go ask Moses? Maybe he's got a reason why they're doing what they're doing, right? But they didn't, they grumbled. This is applicable in your marriage, in your relationships, in, your, in the workplace, in this church. If you're grumbling, you're, you're probably not bringing glory to God. So stop the grumbling. You go, well, no, what am I supposed to do? I've gotta have an outlet, right? This is gonna stay pent up inside of me. It's gonna explode. What am I supposed to do with all this, all this grumbling energy I have? Well, this is what you do. Um, Jesus makes it pretty clear what we do. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, get on Facebook and let the world know. <laughs> That's foresight right there. No, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Listen to this part, between you and him alone. Hey, here's an idea. How about if we have a conversation? Let's, let's try to restore relationship. That's what Jesus is saying. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Because this is what Jesus is saying. He says, you know what? If you don't do anything, you're gonna have a broken relationship. And maybe you'll still have a broken relationship if you go to that person and talk to them, speak truth and love to them. The worst case scenario is you still won't have a relationship with them but you've done your best. You've made the effort to restore and reconcile relationship. But he said, the good part is, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've built the relationship back. And he says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, listen to this. Jesus didn't tell believers to shun or to hate tax collectors and Gentiles. In fact, he made it really clear that we're supposed to love our neighbors ourselves, right? So even the people that don't believe like we believe, we're supposed to love them really well. We're supposed to treat them well with respect. So he's not saying, hey, if, if they refuse to do the right thing, then you just shut them out. You just unfriend them. You block them on Twitter. That's not what he's saying to do. He says, no, 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 you just... Treat them well, but they're not your brother. It sounds, it sounds bad to say it like this, but I love people, but I treat my wife and my family better than I treat the average person in this world because they're my family. I love the people in our community, but I'm gonna treat the people that are members and that are part of this church better than I do people in the community. Not that I'm trashing them or treating them badly, but you're my family. Does that make sense? And so what, what, Matt, I mean, what Jesus is saying to the church is, hey, go and restore and reconcile relationship. And if you don't, if it doesn't happen, you've made your very best effort and it's okay. You just let them go. You forgive them, you love them, but you let them go. And we have such a hard time doing this because we want to be right about everything. We want the other person to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And a lot of times that does not happen. So Jesus says, do what you can to be in right relationship with others. This is really important. It's important for us to be honest with people. And you're like, perfect. I wanna be honest. That's, I've, been, I've had a few things on my mind that I've been wanting to get off my chest with this person. So I'm ready to be honest. 
You're ready to go to work tomorrow, uh, Monday morning, right? And you're gonna go to your boss and go, hey, can I get in trouble for what I think? No, you can't. Well, I think you're a jerk. My pastor told me to get that off my chest, so. And I'm gonna get an angry phone call and you're gonna be looking for a job, right? No, that's not what that means. What it means is Jesus talks about truth and love. When we speak truth in someone's life, it's to restore relationship. It's to help improve. But when we grumble, it's really just about making me feel better. And so James says to the church, stop grumbling because God is watching you. He goes on in verse 10 to say, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he says, when you're suffering, when you're going through a difficult season of your life, when things are really hard for you, think about the prophets and how they suffered. See, the prophets often had to wait for their prophecy to come to fruition. The most famous prophecy in scripture probably is Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have it on a mug or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, and, and we could recite it, a lot of us, by memory. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we love that, because we go, yes! God's got plans for my future. But if you look at the context of the prophecy, the verse preceding that one, the prophet Jeremiah speaks to the nation of Israel and he's the mouthpiece of God. And he says this right before that. So yes, you've got this incredible promise and a future and a hope. That's awesome. But before that, he says this, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring, uh, bring you back to this place. So he says, hey, I've got great things for you in 70 years. How many of us get excited about that? God's like, hey, I've got an incredible promise for you. Are you ready to wait a little bit? Oh yeah, I can wait a little while. How about 70 years? You're like, no, 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 I don't think so. I'll take what's behind door number two, right? No, thank you. See, Jeremiah had to deliver this prophecy and then he had to wait around a little bit. You know? You think he had any pressure along that way? If, if you look at the context, there was a false prophet and he actually prophesied that it was gonna happen quick. Hey, God's gonna bless you right now. That makes me a little nervous when I start hearing people say stuff like that. You're gonna be blessed right now, right this second. No suffering, no waiting, no problem, right? I don't know about that. Jeremiah says, no, you're gonna have to wait a little bit. You're gonna have to be patient. Not only did the people of Israel have to be patient, he had to be patient about it as well because he was the one who delivered the prophecy. And James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he says, think about the prophets. Now let me give you just a rundown. There were a lot of prophets who lived a long life and died in peace. There were quite a few, but there were also quite a few who it didn't go so well for them. There were, there were prophets who were murdered. There were prophets who were tortured. There were prophets who were sawn in half. There were prophets who were stoned with rocks. Just wanna make that clear. <laughs> they weren't living in Colorado. Doing, doing some snowboarding and getting some Doritos. That's not what they were doing. They were, they, they were stood out publicly and people threw rocks at them until they died. There were prophets who were fed to lions and many of the prophets who were killed were killed by their own people. They'd bring a prophecy to the nation of Israel and the nation of Israel didn't like it so they would kill the prophet. I don't like those odds. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you tried to speak truth and love to somebody and you felt like they betrayed you and they got, well, you're, you don't love me or you wouldn't say things like that. Wait a second. I'm just, I'm telling you what the word of God says or I'm, I'm sharing my heart with you or whatever it is. And this is what James says. He says, 
You need to stand firm. You need to be steadfast in your suffering. You need to trust God and be patient with the same kind of patience that the prophets had when they suffered. See, the prophets knew what they were doing. You know, I told you last week that God doesn't bless us to make us comfortable. He blesses us so that we can help advance his kingdom and tell his story. And that is exactly true of what the prophets did. The prophets knew what they were getting into. They said, God, we are all in. Whatever you ask us to do, we're gonna do it, even if it's really hard, even if it ends my life, even if it causes me to be martyred, even if it causes me to suffer, even if it causes me to be tortured, God, I don't care what I have to do. My story that I'm telling is about you. It's not about me. And they lived that out. And they did it patiently. And James is saying to us, we need to live with that kind of patience in our lives. The same patience that that those who suffered and prophesied for the kingdom of God walked through. In verse 11, it says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So he says, he's talking about the prophets still. And he said, those who were killed and martyred and sawn in half and fed to lions, they were blessed. And you're like, I don't wanna be blessed like that, okay? I want the speedboat. But this is what James says. He said, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. And the word steadfast, it just means resolute or, um, or, or firm, without sway, without movement, unwavering. That's what that means. And so he says, the people who remain firm and resolute, those are the ones that will be called blessed. It says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And if you don't know the story of Job, if you're new to church or new to, to Christianity, new to the Bible, I would encourage you, check out the book of Job. It's a crazy story. This guy, this guy lost all of his stuff, all of his family. He was destitute and he trusted God anyway. And that's the, that's the nutshell version of that. Um, but it says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, his, his resolute uh, just standing, how he approached his faith. And he says, you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And then in verse 12, it goes on to say, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So what does that mean? Do not swear either by heaven or by earth, by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. In Israel, they would swear oaths by different things. And uh, they took oaths very, very seriously. In fact, no matter what your oath was, if you swore by God, then legally you had to do it. So no matter what you said, it had to be done. And there were heavy consequences if you didn't. And so we see he's echoing what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, but he's, he's saying this again. He says, don't, don't, don't be swearing by God or by any other oath. Don't do that. Just be so honest that your yes is yes and your no is no. Don't be the person that says, yes, this is how it is. And somebody goes, really? Because your track record is a little dicey. And then you go, okay, I swear this is the way it is. No, no, no. James is saying, let your word be so solid. Be such an honest person that your yes means yes. When you say yes, people know you can take it to the bank. When you say no, people know, no, there's no way. He said, live your life with that kind of honesty, that your yes may be yes and your no may be no. What he's saying is say what you mean and do what you say. It's pretty simple, right? We have a hard time living that out sometimes. I don't know if they still do it. Uh, Abby, you know, used to do this thing where she'd go, okay, daddy, can we go to the park? Yeah, we can go to the park. Pinky swear. 
Yes, and we do this like pinky swear thing. Okay, we're going to the park, right? And sometimes we do that. We go, okay, God. Now, I think you're gonna bless me. I think you're gonna help me. I, th- I think you're gonna provide. I think you're gonna take care of the situation. Are you gonna do it? And God says, yes. And we go, really? Do you, do you promise that you pinky swear God? And God is faithful. He's true. If there was ever one whose yes was yes and no was no, it's God's. But it's not God's problem. It's our problem at times. We have a hard time trusting him, especially when we're struggling, especially when we're going through a difficult season. See, it's, it's hard to be patient in those seasons, isn't it? When we're waiting on an answer, we're waiting on God to respond, we're waiting on God to do something. But that doesn't mean that God's not working just because we don't see it. We have to be patient with God in God's timing. I said this earlier, um, but I wanna make this a little more personal. I will, be, I will patiently wait on God's timing and for the fulfillment of God's promise for my life. This is what I wanna do. I wanna say this. I want you to say it with me. So I'm gonna say part of it and then I'm, I want you to repeat it back to me, okay? And I want you to say this over your life that maybe you're somebody who struggles being patient in your life. But I, I want you to repeat this and I want you to believe it as you say this. So, so repeat this after me. I will patiently wait on God and his timing and for the fulfillment of God's promises for my life. This is what I want you to do. I want you to think about that this week as God is challenging you, as you walk through difficulty, as you are waiting on his promises to be fulfilled. I want you to think about that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was out and um, I spoke at another church and uh, I typically don't recycle messages when I preach at another church. I don't just pull like a one of my A messages out of the hopper and go preach it. And so they, they were dealing with this very specific topic. And so um, I went and preached and, and there was a passage of scripture that I have not shared this with you before, but I wanna share this with you. Um, and, and it has to do with the nation of Israel and they were leaving uh, the wilderness. They spent 40 years wandering around through the wilderness. And when they finally were heading into the promised land, um, and they were given specific instruction by God what they should do and how they should do it. And they were supposed to cross uh, the Jordan River. And they were given specific instructions about the, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the river and to cross over the Jordan first. Now, this is what it says in Joshua chapter three, verse 14. It says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now, and it says parenthetically, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. It goes on to say in verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. Now listen, um, God said, nation of Israel, it's time for you to go into the promised land. And did, did you know what he did? God said, I'm gonna send you across at harvest time. And harvest time was a lousy time to try to, to cross rivers, especially the Jordan, because the Jordan was at flood stage at harvest. So the Jordan was exploding outside of its banks. He could have waited till drought so that they could have gotten across more easily, but that's not how God works. God says, I want you to take the hardest path possible. And the reason I want you to take the hardest path possible is because when you do, you're gonna know it was me that showed up, that you couldn't have done it on your own. God doesn't ask us to do easy things. He asks us to do hard things so he can get the glory for it. 
So he asked them to do this hard thing. He asked them to cross the Jordan at flood stage. And the priests walk into the Jordan and we see here that it be, the water began to pile up upstream at Adam. Now Adam was about 20 miles away upstream. And when you read this passage, I automatically just think, oh, well they stepped in and the water stopped and then they walked across. It was easy peasy, right? Well, that's not how it happened. When you look at this and the way it's worded, it makes it pretty clear that the water stopped flowing at Adam 20 miles away, but it, it could have taken up to three hours for that to reach the Israelites. They had to stand in the water waiting for that water to stop flowing for up to three hours. Can you imagine how awkward that might've been? The people that were standing in the back waiting, going, I thought, I thought the water was gonna stop. I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe we're doing something wrong. Do we need to stop? Do we need to go back? What's happening? Maybe Moses was wrong. Maybe he didn't hear from God. Can you imagine all the chatter that started? Now I'm just speculating. But here they were, the priests standing in the water, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for hours for the water to stop flowing until finally it did. They could have given up. They could have gone, okay, this clearly wasn't what God wanted for us or it would have happened faster. They could have walked out of the water, but they didn't. They waited patiently. They were steadfast. They were firm. They were resolute. They said, God promised us this and we're gonna stand here until it happens. This is what some of you need to understand tonight. Maybe some of you are sitting here and you're saying, God, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And where's the promise for my life? God, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Where's the deliverance for my life? God, where's the freedom for my life? You promised to God and I've been standing here waiting. Where's it at? And this is what I want you to know. It's upstream. It just hasn't got to you yet. Your deliverance is upstream. Your freedom is upstream. Your hope is upstream. Your promise, it's upstream and it's coming your way. Your job is just to stand patiently, resolutely waiting on the promise of God for your life to arrive. You don't have to do anything except be patient. Trust God and see what he'll do. Trust God in your situation, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at today, I'm telling you, be patient and do what God's asking you to do. And he's gonna provide what you need. It's coming right now. It's upstream if you'll just wait for it. Let's pray. God, I love you. And I'm so grateful, Father, that you are a good God, that you love us. And I don't always understand your ways. I don't always understand what you want from us. But God, I thank you that we can trust you, that you are faithful. And Lord, I don't know the situations and circumstances of all the people in this room, but you do. And God, I know that we can trust you with our junk, with our baggage, with our hurt, with our relationships, God. So I pray today, no matter what we've brought into this place, we would be willing to trust you with it that we'd be patient in our season of waiting. And God, we wouldn't expect you to show up on our timing, but God, we would trust you in your timing. So God, I pray that you'd have your way with us. I pray that you'd speak to us, God. Let your Holy Spirit move in us. Have your way, God. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed if you're here tonight and you say, you know what, Mel? I, I know God's got a purpose and plan for my life, but it's hard for me to discover what it is because I'm not even really walking with God. I'm not even really in relationship with him, but I wanna be. You don't have to wait to get your life cleaned up, to get your life put together, to figure out all the pieces. You don't have to do that. God will do that. He doesn't expect us to clean ourselves up before we come to him. He just wants us to turn. He'll, he'll do the cleaning. He'll take care of us. All we have to do is be, be faithful to, to turn and approach him. 
So if you're here tonight and you say, Mel, that's me, I'm, I'm, I need God's help. I know God's got a purpose and plan for me, but I'm not even in a relationship and I wanna be. All you have to do is respond to him tonight. He's calling for you. He's, he's inviting you to come home. So if that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you come forward. But if you're here tonight, you say, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna, I wanna be in a relationship with God. And I wanna start tonight. I just wanna pray with you, whoever you are, wherever you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? I'll acknowledge you and you can put your hand back down. Thank you, over here on my left. Thank you, ma'am. Who else? Thank you, over here on my right. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Who else? You say, that's me. Pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life tonight. I know he's got a purpose and a plan and a promise for me, but I'm not even really walking with him and I want to. Anyone else? Just a few more seconds. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just repeat this prayer after me. Say it with your mouth, but mean it in your heart. That's what scripture tells us. So let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. I'm a sinner and I need you. Thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. I commit to follow after you for the rest of my life and to wait patiently for every promise that you have for me. I am yours. Thank you that you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate together? New life, thank you, Jesus. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, there's a card that looks like this one in the seat back in front of you. Take it out and take just a moment and fill this card out for us. The reason this is important is we wanna help you take the next step on your faith journey. We wanna help you uh, get plugged into everything that God's got for you. We just wanna be a resource for you. So fill this out and then drop it in the offering box as you are leaving today and let us know about your decision. Um, this is what's gonna happen right now. Our worship team's gonna lead us in one final song. And the prayer team is gonna to come to either side of the stage as we're singing. If you're here today and you need prayer for any reason, that's why our prayer team is here. We wanna agree with you in prayer. They're also gonna be here at the conclusion of our experience too. So if you don't feel comfortable coming up during worship, that's okay. Uh, they're available following the dismissal in just a few minutes. But we're here to pray with you and agree with you about whatever might be going on in your life. So we wanna believe that God's gonna do something big in you and through you. Maybe you're here and, and you're that person that says, I need God to help me with patience in my life. Maybe you're here and you're that person that says, man, I've been grumbling a lot and I need God to help me with my mouth and with my tongue. Um, whatever it is, we wanna pray with you. So this is what's gonna happen. These guys are gonna lead us and we're gonna stand all over the room and we're gonna worship together. So please do that at this time. Stand to your feet. Let's worship together. In just a moment, Pastor Todd will close us out. But guys, I love you so much and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. Have a great night.